Welcome to the Movement Logic Podcast with yoga teacher and strength coach Laurel Beversdorf and physical therapist Dr. Sarah Court. With over 30 years combined experience in the yoga, movement, and physical therapy worlds, we believe in strong opinions loosely held, which means we're not hyping outdated movement concepts. Instead, we're here with up-to-date and cutting-edge tools, evidence, and ideas to help you as a mover and a teacher. Welcome to episode 12 of the Movement Logic Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah Court, physical therapist, and I'm here with my guest who probably needs no introduction to most of you, Jules Mitchell. Jules is a Las Vegas-based yoga teacher, educator, 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 and massage therapist with an MS in exercise science and biomechanics from CSU Long Beach. She is adjunct faculty at Arizona State University, where she serves as a yoga consultant on yoga therapy research for special populations, including pregnant women, perinatal loss and depression, and cancer patients. Jules is the author of Yoga Biomechanics, Stretching Redefined, a comprehensive text for yoga teachers. Her methods intend to achieve ease in movement through deliberate effort. Thus, her teachings integrate numerous modalities, balancing the somatic aspects of yoga with the most current exercise science. Today, we're talking about all sorts of things. I was trying to think of a title for the episode, and I was like, everything? Because uh, if you know anything about Jules, you know that she is a total genius. And so asking her on the show was just a very selfish move on my part, because I just wanted to pick her brain about yoga, strength training, bone density, and just sort of movement fads in general. So Jules, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I love that you read my bio that I've been wanting to uh, update <laughs> for like two years and haven't got around to it. Like whenever move that up on the list of priorities. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Might happen I... tomorrow now. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that happen too, where I'm like, oh, that's, that's old. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. None, none of it, none of it's incorrect. So yeah, it's still technically, yeah. it's all still, it's yes. all still true. Yes. Um, so is there anything that you, you know, in your various and, and I was gonna say various and varied, but that means the same thing. In your various studies lately that you're kind of really interested in, something that you're kind of fascinated by at the moment? I mean, it's not like one thing in particular. Um, I, I have definitely started on a, a path of my own continuing education that is separate from kind of the narrative that I've been driving for a long time, which is like soft tissue mechanics. Um, just to get some other perspectives, because there are a lot of different explanations in within a lot of different models for a lot of the same things. Mm -hmm. And so I have been kind of putting myself into those other models. So I've been doing some like joint mechanics research. I've been doing a little biochemistry studies. I've been doing a bit of of um, little biotensegrity, like I took a, a non-Euclidean geometry math course, just to kind of like verse myself in the competing narratives to mine. And it's been really mm -hmm. fulfilling and interesting. That's very cool. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah. Um, you generally, you generally at this point, and correct me if I'm wrong, you mostly teach sort of continuing education for movement teachers, yoga teachers, mostly. Yeah. yeah. Um, you do you miss teaching like just general gen pop classes like public classes um because I, I i when i started practicing 
as a clinician and I, you know, would still teach a workshop here and there, but every now and then I'm like, be fun to just teach like a yoga class, you know? Well, um, I kind of do <laughs> teach yoga classes. Um, I don't teach to the general public, but I do have like practice collections, which are like mini miniature libraries of online classes. So I do get in front of my camera and teach a yoga class, or I do teach my teacher training started this week. I taught a yoga class. So I'm still teaching classes. It's just, I'm teaching with the teacher in mind. So they're Mm -hmm. a little bit more sophisticated. Like sometimes I'll, I'll weave together three or four different skills in a class, knowing that the yoga teacher will then take that class and break it down into like five or six classes, different classes that they could offer the general population, you know? So I, mm-hmm. I kind of layer them heavy with educational concepts. So I don't really miss teaching the general public because I, I kind of do, even though it has, it just has a little bit of an edge to make it, you know, more in line with what I do. And yeah. also, I just have to say, I don't, there's, I'm so overwhelmed with running an online business since, you know, we've all been forced to go there. I'm not missing anything. Like I'm not sitting around going, you know, I have all this extra time and I'd really like to, you know, like I, I'm, I have plenty to keep me busy. So um, it's okay the way it is. And I'm still teaching. Nice. Do you feel like your classes, you know, are, are still, I don't know, like quote unquote recognizable as, as a yoga class um, or, you know, what is, or does that matter or what would that even look like or, or how important is it that it, that it conform in that way? I feel like there's, there's a lot of variety out there now. And I think we've gotten yeah. a little less precious about what exactly a yoga class, you know, quote unquote should look like. I would say that, um, I've probably, it's probably more recognizable about as yoga now than it has been in the past. I think mm-hmm. I'm, you know, there, now there is so much variety that I think a lot of yoga teachers are a little confused. They don't know what to call themselves. They're calling themselves movement teachers. The general public has no idea what movement means. They just want to find a yoga class, you know? So I'm, I feel like I'm not, I don't oppose all that. And I don't oppose incorporating other things into yoga I don't, in any way. But just like for my business and for clarity and to be there to help yoga teachers find their way through yoga, I, it's like more yoga now than ever before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe not ever before, obviously, but you know, over the last five years, let's just yeah. say that's very recognizable as yoga. I mean, I do have, you know, I do incorporate some somatic stuff, but it's for the poses. Uh, right. It's not for mobility drills. It's right. for the poses. Right. Um, and this kind of takes me into my next question because there's been so much focus that I've seen at least in the yoga teacher world about strength suddenly. Um, and, you know, in my sort of broad clinical definition of strength, I think strength training involves an external load. That external load is greater than your day-to-day demands that you can, you know, move it however it is, whether it's a squat or an overhead press or something, but there's only a, a limited number of times that you can do it. Um, and you know, while the, the yoga community has grown more interested in strength training, which I think is, is great. How do we then, you know, bridge the gap or, or get better understanding 
between what strength training is and what happens in a yoga or a Pilates class. Is it, is it fair? Is it accurate? If a yoga teacher is saying that's like, here's my yoga for strength training, or I don't know, I don't know what people are calling their classes, but, and again, you know, does the, does that sort of very, very specific academic accuracy matter? What do you think? Yes and no. Um, And I think it depends. I know it's always depends, but what does it depend on? It kind of depends on, on the, the stakeholders in the conversation. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you're just trying to reach the general public at, I don't think the general public cares if it's strength or not strength. They just, they just want to do what they want to do and feel better or feel stronger. And if they feel stronger because they went to yoga and did a bunch of vinyasas or if they, you know, I don't think it matters to regular people who can barely fit into their schedule an hour or two of what they would consider exercise or whatever, you know? So I think we can get very wrapped up in like industry. I call it industry pageantry. And, and <laughs> I don't think, I don't think that's serving the, the, our, our customer, you know, like the, 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 the person who really just needs an hour of yoga. I don't think it matters if, if they think therabands are strengthening or not strengthening unless they're truly seeking strength training, you know, then we can guide them and say, you know, maybe you want to go find a strength and conditioning coach or something like that, you know? Uh, But if it's, if they're just trying to fit it into their routine, I don't think it matters. I do think it matters when we are talking amongst ourselves. I do think as professionals in the industry, we should have clear understandings of what the parameters are to make something a strength practice if we're going to be using that language um you know and then when when you're educated on that and when you understand it then it just naturally bleeds into the way you talk to your customer without trying to re reform you know rearrange their ideas of things that they don't really care about Mm -hmm. i always use like the accountant example you know it accountants need to know the tax laws and they need to know them so well that when and you come to bring them your taxes, they just give you the advice for, they can hear what you need and give you the advice. They don't explain the tax law to you. You would lose your mind, right? So right. it's kind of like that. Like we need to be very well-informed, so well-informed that we can tease out what our customer is looking for and what they want and what their goals are and point them in the right direction without explaining to them the nuance on why a TheraBand isn't a proper strengthening tool. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well then, so let's say, you know, if a, if a teacher had someone come up to them after class and the class had had some resistance bands in it and the, the student was like, is this going to make me stronger? Because mm-hmm. I, I mean, I just remember getting a lot of very vague general questions like that a lot of the time where I'm like, yeah. well, do you want the half an hour answer? <laughs> I would say probably not. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you might feel stronger because you got a little workout. There's a little, resi- you know, whatever, but like, it probably isn't going to meet the parameters for actual strength. But if you feel good, you know, like, so you can answer them in in two sentences, I think. (laughs) You know, if you're looking to build muscle mass or something like that, you know, like this probably isn't it. Um, Right. You know, if you've been quite sedentary for a long time, this is probably a really great place to start, you know, like stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think about the, the patients that I work with in the clinic. I mean, you know, I'm, we're not starting with like a 25 kettlebell Ooh. goblet squat, like nothing near that. And is it, you know, in these early stages where we're using like, you know, the yellow resistance band or the very small hand weight, 
am I thinking about that? Like I'm making this person stronger or am I thinking about that? Like, well, I'm, I'm really what I'm helping them do is, is motor control, motor planning, like this sort of, and, and you talked about in the beginning about how, um, you know, you're exploring other, other areas around the sort of soft tissue explanation for things. My, my sort of recent biggest nerd out is just about how I really think the nervous system is just in charge of everything. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so, you know, something like hypertrophy is one thing, but something like, you know, helping someone find their serratus anterior, if they, if they can't do it with just their arm, they're not going to be able to do it with a, you know, 20 pound kettlebell. So we start with a yellow band and we start with, you know, a lot of repetition and a lot of sort of like planning and programming and, and all that kind of stuff. Is that strength? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not technically, but they're not going to get the strength if they don't know where it is. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So Maybe so there's, there's a way to there's, talk about. So there's one model, right? So you just right. explained like one model, one approach, you know, of progression towards strength training. Um, right. You know, there's other models too. And, mul and multiple models can be true at the same time or, you know, maybe not true, nothing's true, but you know what I mean? Can be effective right. can at the same time. Yeah, yeah, they can coexist. And even though they might, you know, contradict each other, but you know, this is biology. So we actually don't know anything anyway. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so, you know, is it, is it part of, you know, a, a, a program that could lead someone to getting stronger? Sure, you know, you could say that easily. Right, right. Um, the other thing that, that I am seeing a lot of lately is, is the focus on like bone density and osteoporosis and, you know, classes that are called yoga for osteoporosis. And I'm not, I'm not trying to like pick on yoga teachers. There's probably, it's just the world that I know. There's probably like Pilates classes that are called Pilates oh, for is. osteoporosis. Yes. Yeah. There so, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, similarly to strength training, I mean, I mean, it just makes me a little, I feel a little twitchy when I see stuff like that, because I look at it and I'm like, well, from a clinical perspective, you know, the PT perspective is you're doing, you know, short, sustained, very heavy loads, you know, like strength training, maybe even more into the category of what we'd call power or something like that, where it's, you know, you're, um, and, you know, again, in a yoga, in a yoga class, that's, you're, you're, it's body weight. It's a resistance band. Maybe I've never seen anything more than like a, you know, two pound hand weight. Um, you know, and I did read that there's a, that Lauren Fishman study, uh, from 2016 that showed yoga increasing bone mineral density, but, um, you know, like a lot of studies, it was, you know, very specific population, very specific parts of the bones, you know, and it was a two-year study. Like there were a lot of things about it that were sort of, you know, research limitations. Um, and even they were sort of like, you know, more studies are needed, but uh, there is a, you know, there's a, like a program out there, I think, where people can, are just like, oh, it's this 12-minute yoga program and it's going to reverse your osteoporosis. And I just like, stop talking to me about fat-free cookies, you know, like it's one of those things where I feel like it's a sort of sales pitch a little bit. Um, do you have a better understanding than I do about the effect of yoga on bone mineral density? Do you think it's, yeah. it's fair to for a teacher <laughs> interpret the research as like, now I can say that my yoga class is for osteoporosis? This is such a big topic. Um, so it is, um, it is my strong bias that yoga does not provide the parameters, the load parameters that um, reverse osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. And that's a really big claim in that paper. Um, and that even 
just if you're not even in the stages of osteoporosis, just like building, building bone density. Um, it's my very strong bias that yoga is not that. That being said, once a week, probably somebody emails me uh, online course, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, referencing this page, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. literally once a week, even my yeah. teaching assistant Instagrammed me one like two days ago. I was like, I know I get it every week uh, because there's a huge push for it. There's books published on it. There's New York times articles published on it. There's online courses for it. Uh, written by, or, you know, the courses and the books written by the people in the study that have that conducted the study. Um, and I actually, we use that study in my teacher training because we look at its challenges. It's a very poor quality study. If you ask me, I read a lot of research and I actually think it's important for yoga teachers who want to cite research to not just read high quality papers, but to read poor quality papers as well, because mm -hmm. it helps them tease out like what's missing. You know, the methods, it, I mean, it's an observational, you know, longitudinal study that's already problematic, especially when you're just looking at biology. And there's so many conclusions that can't be made from that, but in this paper that are, um, yeah. you know, I have so many issues with it. There's very, there's literally one sentence in that paper that says, we controlled for all other variables as best as possible. And then they continued talking about something else. I'm like, well, what are they? And how did you, you know? <laughs> right. like, that to me isn't good enough, you know? Uh, yeah. So I, I really struggle with that paper. I've talked about it on other podcasts. Hmm. Lauren Fishman has requested those podcasts come down. Like it's been a thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was, I'm telling you all this because I, I had to preface it with, my bias. Yeah. And I've read all kinds of other research on bone density. There's case studies out there that say yoga causes fractures um, and you shouldn't do yoga. It's bad for your, for people with osteoporosis. And then this paper says it reverses osteoporosis. And then you look at some higher quality randomized control trials and you see it's generally safe, but it doesn't improve bone density. Like if you're looking at the whole body of literature, and you throw out, if, imagine you're doing a Cochrane review, that Fishman paper wouldn't make it in the review. It just wouldn't, you know what I mean? It wouldn't yeah, make it yeah. into a systematic review and neither would the case study. And so you're now looking at the higher quality uh, research papers and you're- Can you're I, really can you're I pause you for a second? Just for yeah. any of our listeners who don't know what a systematic review is, can you, can you describe what that is? Yeah, just a systematic review is a, a paper that looks at other research and reviews it. And they- take the time to look at the quality of the papers. They throw out ones that don't really add to the conversation. Um, they, you know, usually they start with thousands of, they search and find thousands of papers and they end up with six papers that are good enough to consider. So that tells you that just cause it's published can't take one study and be like, oh, hey, look, 12 minutes of yoga reverses osteoporosis. You know, if you read that study also, they didn't do 12 minutes of yoga a day it ended up being like two or three days a week. <laughs> it was just like, every time you keep reading, you're like, well, this is, you know, less and less what's in the abstract as you go through. But anyway, so if you're looking at some of the higher quality studies that would be eligible for a systematic review, um, you know, yoga's fine. It's, it, it, it's very, you know, very few adverse events. Of course, things happen. Things happen when you get out of bed though. So it's, you know, like generally it's safe and, uh, but it's not really the, what you're looking for. Now, 
That being said, you know, there are probably other aspects of yoga, like improving balance and things like that. And so maybe reducing falls or quality of life, there's all kinds of other good benefits, but that's not measuring bone density. So making a claim, you know, that yoga is good for bone density or builds bone or reverses osteoporosis to me is a stretch. Yeah. Now, someone in my mentoring program was emailing me back and forth on this. She also emailed me one of these online courses. Hey, have you seen this? It showed up in her inbox. Uh, and she said to me in the email, I just don't understand how, how they can get it so wrong. Hmm. And so my answer to her was, well, maybe we have it wrong. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I, like I'm, I'm, I have to acknowledge that I'm, I'm reporting on all of this through a strong bias. So I'm willing to listen to the arguments. I really am because even though I, I, you know, I don't think it is, but you have to show up with a strong paper and some yeah. strong evidence. And yeah. in the meantime, I'm going to hold it, hold my position and you share that position. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was sort of my feeling when I, when I was looking at it, I was just sort of like, I don't know about this, you know? Um, and I think, just to sort of go slightly tangential, I think one of one of the things that um, that I am often frustrated by is when th that there isn't um, that there is there is now this kind of um, willingness, which is amazing, of a lot of teachers to read research papers. You know, which was not something that was happening when I started out as a yoga teacher. You know, it was just you just did yoga and shut up about it. You know, so now people are trying to trying to sort of find this more scientific. Uh, evidence at the same time, there's no training for yoga mm -hmm. teachers at, in how to read research and how to actually assess the quality of the research and decide what I do. Or, <laughs> right, right. Can you talk about that a little bit, how you help teachers understand that not all research is created equal? Yeah. Um, I mean, that is what we, we do a little bit in my teacher training. I do a lot more in my mentoring program because I think it's important the yeah. more, like you said, the more people are throwing around research papers on social media, they're like, oh, look, stretching makes you weaker. It's like, well, wait a minute. Let's look at this. Like they're doing, they're doing a, you know, a hundred yard dash and they're slower and they're doing a, you know, a high jump and they don't jump as high because they stretched for six weeks and didn't run or jump. So is it the stretching or is it the deconditioning? You know, so like, so, so what I kind of like to do when I'm working with teachers on reading research is I actually like to have them go to the methods. I think that is a really uh, helpful way. And can they read the methods and can they recreate the study? If they had 20 people and they were to give them the intervention, take the measurements before, take the measurements after, you know, and if they could recreate that in their mind, you know, how, how were they, how, you know, how were they being stretched in what position? What was it like? Were they using this? Were they using that? How, you know, what was the, what was the, what was considered the end range? Was it, you know, what, this much sensation? How are they, how are they calculating that? And if they can recreate it, like in their you know, mind, then they have an understanding of what was studied, mm -hmm. you know, and when you have an understanding of what was studied, then you can start to think about what the results mean. And so like, if you're looking at a lot of yoga studies, you don't actually know what they did. There's very little information about like, oh, there was a five minute warm up, and then they did 50 minutes of breathing and poses and then they did a cool down. Well, if you can't recreate that, 
then you actually can't take those conclusions and make any meaning out of it. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that as a, as a, just, I I think that'd be amazing for, for a lot of people. I think, you know, my thing was always sort of like, if you're posting the, you know, New York times article that's talking about the research that you really have to go and find the paper and read the paper. And, and at that level, does the kind of like clickbaity article title actually describe what's happening in the paper? And my finding a lot of time was that it wasn't like, it actually did not reflect accurately what the paper actually was even trying to study. But, you know, again, it's, it's more, you're going to get more clicks if you say something really provocative, like, you know, stretching makes you weaker or something like that. Um, but yeah, really, I think it's, I, I love that you're doing that because I really do think it's so important that people, I mean, we did a ton of it at school, but prior to that, I didn't know that much about, you know, what's a good study, what's not a good study, you know? So there's also so much statistics in it that just makes me completely cross-eyed, but I do think you can. (laughs) Well, that's the next part is really at the end of the day, if you don't understand those statistics, it's really hard to interpret the research. So Uh, I don't, but I don't expect that for yoga teachers. So that's like the, my, my, uh, my goal with giving, you know, providing scientific literacy skills to a yoga teacher, isn't that they need to start taking statistics classes and, and, but just like, it's not about being able to understand a paper fully. It's about understanding how to think about a paper, Mm -hmm. right? So like, like, I'm going to think about this paper about yoga and bone density. And, and let me, let me question where it might be missing some stuff. And let me question where it actually you know, might have some valid points and let me think about it instead of just seeing the headline or reading the abstract and saying, you know, this is what it does. Mm-hmm. You know, like the stretching makes you weaker. Well, you know, in this study, if it was a good quality study, it maybe it did make you weaker, but that doesn't mean that, that going to yoga makes all people weaker because right. the yoga intervention doesn't look anything like the stretching and the, and the, the test for, you know, weakening and strengthening and stuff. Well, no one's no one's doing a hundred yard dash or a high jump. So so like you know that's what just think about the research, right. and 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 if you learn to do that, you 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 kind of soften, I guess. Like you soften your your viewpoints. You you recognize like you know you have a bias. I have a clear bias around yoga and osteoporosis, but I'm soft about it. You know, instead mm-hmm. of like arguing with people. It's like they send me the they send me this course and I'm like yes here we are this is the this is the world <laughs> of capitalism everyone's selling something you know you know mm-hmm. like but I could I could you know create a course that you know yoga the anti osteoporosis for yo- you know yoga course or whatever but I uh, you know right. I it's okay right. it's okay <laughs> I, I'd still rather have people with osteoporosis do yoga than nothing else so like. Sure. It, <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm like, I just want you to stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like if yes. you're, live if your you're life. That, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. However you want to move your body. This episode is brought to you by Movement Logic, a library of evidence-based movement therapy tutorials to help your students who are in pain and looking to you for help. What most movement teachers need are critical thinking skills to be able to respond to their students' needs in the moment. But let's face it, 
Whether it's a private client or a student after class, questions about what to do about pain and discomfort can be challenging to address for a movement teacher. However, it's possible to be able to address students' needs skillfully using evidence-based reasoning and tools, all while staying within scope of practice. This happens by becoming anatomically and biomechanically informed, gaining a deeper understanding around pain science, and acquiring a diverse set of teaching tools that you can apply immediately. With Movement Logic, you will do just that, all while building a foundation of critical thinking skills to reach a broader clientele. Want a free peek of what you'll learn in our tutorials? Right now on our website homepage at www.movementlogictutorials.com, you can sign up for our email list to receive updates on course sales and discounts. When you do, you'll also receive four free pelvic floor videos that take a movement-based approach to working with clients with an array of pelvic floor concerns. Within these videos, we help you understand specifically how the movement or breathing exercise can influence awareness of and connection to the pelvic floor specifically, as well as many other structures it directly influences. Go to movementlogictutorials.com, enter your first name and email address, and get four free pelvic floor videos. And now, back to our episode. Do you think, I mean, one of the things is I, I'm sort of, you know, looking at these trends of talking about strength training, talking about osteoporosis in, you know, yoga or movement teachers. Um, and, and it seems like there is this sudden interest and, and, you know, the people that I'm looking at are my, my peers in age, at least. Um, and so I'm wondering if it's because we're all coming up to this point where we are perimenopausal or some of us are fully menopausal and we're dealing with concerns around strength training and bone density. Um, you know, is this, is this purely reflecting of, you know, a generation of yoga teachers who are now their, their concerns, their interests have changed. You know, I don't, I don't know the average 28 year old, 30 year old yoga teacher, but I don't know if they're out there, you know, talking about bone density in yoga, or if they're just doing what I was doing, which was like, Hey, put your leg behind your head. We're cool. You know, like, <laughs> Do you think when, it's like it's a generational thing? Yeah. When we were 28-year-old yoga teachers putting our leg behind our head, there was a generation our age doing what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're not the first ones to discover this. I, I promise you that. That's a very <laughs> egotistical place to be if we think that, you know, we're not the first ones to discover, oh, wait a minute, maybe adding a little strength to my, you know, is, is good for me. Um, so there was a generation before us and probably a generation before that and probably a generation yeah. before that. You know, uh, as long as, as long as exercise science and, and, you know, physio and all this has been an industry, uh, I would say that's probably the case. Um, we are in our echo chamber, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I do think that because of social media, the message of this generation that you're talking about spreads a little further. You know, I mm. think, I think before, when I was 28 teaching yoga, there was no social media. So uh, there, you know, I don't, we were, have, we had Blackberries at the time, you know, <laughs> maybe even, maybe not even that yet. Uh, there was barely internet. I remember in my yoga right. teacher training, like we were looking at yoga journal magazines, like not, you know, like I, I, on a bookshelf and making Xerox copies of them. We were not emailing articles to each other. That was not a thing. Uh, so I do think that the message spreads faster and wider you know, and I think if we'd had social media, we would have had access to, you know, the generation above us that was, you know, sharing this information, doing podcasts, things like that. Mm -hmm. So it might feel like it's, you know, spreading, but I do think that, you know, the 25 year olds 
practicing, whatever, you know, hot vinyasa are very happy there. I took yes. a class recently in town. I was like, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I had a great time. I just went slower than everybody else, you know, but, um, but it was like, like it, it's alive and well. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, no, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I haven't taken one of those in a, in a long time and I bet it would be really entertaining and it was I great. bet I would be, you know, in the corner doing my, yes. what I jokingly call my feeble old lady yoga and the room would be like, what? why that isn't she moving. doing the fifth Very headstand fast. that we're all doing, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so funny. It Is, are we just getting old? Is that what's happening? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I'm so glad. Finally. <laughs> right? I know. I've Some been of wanting to be like, an adult oh. since I was 10 years old. So, so I'm going in the right I direction. <laughs> such a relief sometimes. Oh my God. Um, so, you know, when, so back in the day, back in the, you know, 20, when we were photocopying pictures out of Yoga Journal and, and taking hand note, notes by hand, one of the things when I went back to PT school that blew my mind, this is a total aside, but I was like, people are taking notes on their computer. Mm -hmm. I was, I was there with like my five different colored pens and my little notebook. And I was like, well, the title has to be, you know, and then I look around and everyone else is like, click, 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 click. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh. Mm -hmm. I am the old here, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but so so back in the day when it, when that was uh, how I was working, um, you know there was a lot of sort of you know different ways that you could structure a yoga class, but a lot of it was around like you're working towards a peak pose, you know a peak pose is an advanced pose, um, and it may also have been you know I started in Jiva Mukti Yoga, which is as someone once lovingly yeah. de described to me that rock and roll shit. <laughs> so I was like, I mean, should that be fair? fair. Um, you know, so there wasn't a concept that like, maybe not everybody should be doing three wheel poses and a 10 minute shoulder stand. Um, and it does seem like, and again, this may be just generational that like people are starting to pull back from this idea of like, oh, an advanced yoga is a, a complicated yoga. It's a physically advanced um, and people are talking a lot about things like overstretching and hypermobility, you know, and people are concerned about like you know, this idea that, that they could overstretch something or they're just, they're already too flexible. They don't need to be stretching anymore, the lot kind of stuff. And, you know, at the same time, like, as people ask me, they're like, do you, do you give people stretches for part of their rehab program in, in a PT setting? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I do. Um, you know, I, I, and but it's very specific. It's very to very specific patients usually, and it's with a specific goal that's not necessarily range of motion related. It's not necessarily you know trying to get their range better, but it might be more about helping with pain, helping them just move better generally, things like that. Um, you know, and and you have a whole book about stretching. <laughs> it's not just that's sorry. That is a that is a huge. Uh, <laughs> it is about stretching. It is. You're not wrong. Well, it, it sounds like I'm just like, well, it's a book where you learn how to stretch. It's so much more. So, so much more. If you guys have not read Jules' book, you absolutely should. But, um, you know, when people ask you, like, should I be stretching at this point? Do you say, do you have an answer? Do you say like, maybe, maybe not? Yes. No. Here's why. I usually say yes. Mm -hmm. People like stretching. It feels good. They do. It feels good. It really yeah. does. There's so many things around stretching that aren't just range of motion. You know, there's so many things around it. Um, I mean, if you, if you dive into the stretching research, and I have a three-hour webinar just on this, but like if you dive into that, um, you know, there's dozens 
of variables that they're measuring from quality of life to mm -hmm. range of motion to you know tendon stiffness to sports performance to cardiovascular health to metabolic factors you know stress hormones like there's like so many things um so yeah stretching is great and fine um you you know your question had so many things so i'm just trying to you know organize them you know, I do think there are certain populations, like you mentioned hypermobility, um, where stretching doesn't feel that great. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's, this is like, I don't think it's the stretching. Like they're, they're not, they probably won't overstretch themselves. It's just like, you just, you, you know, you, your end range is your end range. You know, like you, you're, it, it's, there's, Aside from extreme situations, it's really hard to, you know, overstretch tissue, but they do have different composition of their structure of their yeah. um, connective tissue. And I think it's really, the reality is when they do like stretching, like the general public thinks of stretching, like a flexibility exercise, um, they're not able to sense tension. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they might not like the feeling of those stretches. So when they like engage muscles and stuff and they all of a sudden everything feel, feels more stable, but guess what? When you contract your muscle, you're still stretch. It's still tension. So, so it's, it's, it's not the tension. It's not the stretching, you know, I'm using air quotes for that. It's not the stretching. That's a problem. It's just the, the, the parameters around the stretch or the details around the stretch, because when they end up like everything is a stretch. You can't like, you know, a deadlift is a stretch. You're, you're bending over. And so, so when they actually like add some load, they're actually getting more stretch technically because more tension because there's more mm -hmm. muscle contraction. So it's just, that's the condition in which they enjoy the tension, if that makes mm -hmm. sense, where it feels better for them. So I'm, I'm, I've kind of like gone back and forth on this a lot, but I'm really kind of pro-stretching if you, you know, I don't think you should use stretching to, you know, improve your marathon time or, you know what I mean? Those types of things, but if you enjoy it, then great. And, and I do think that the taking away the emphasis of range of motion, if we just do that, it sort of resolves itself. You know, if yeah. you just start kind of looking at it like, oh, you know, it feels good to reach my arm overhead and reach for the cookie jar. That's a stretch, you know, but if you're like, if, if you're pushing to, to end range where you might start to aggravate some stuff, sensitize some stuff, you know, then all of a sudden we're like, oh, stretching is the worst. And the only thing that, that, that was in that conversation is that we we're like trying to get more and you don't <laughs> always need more. You know, you could do a gentle stretch, not very far, not, very, and then engage your muscles. And all of a sudden it feels like a way deeper stretch, even though you haven't gone deeper. So you can play around with the sensations of tension <laughs> and get all the benefits. People like yeah. it. It does feel good. I mean, I, I think there is that sort of, there was like this conflation, is that the right word? Where we took the idea of, you know, trying to do these more, more, for lack of a better word, gymnastic, more complicated yoga poses. And we were like, oh, but the problem with that is I'm overstretching, mm -hmm. right? Or that that was, that, they, that the two things were the same, mm -hmm. you know? And, and to your point, I mean, you know, I tore a hamstring doing uh, what's called Vishvamritasana, like mm -hmm. I was like, well, maybe the problem is that you're trying to put your leg behind your head, 
you know, like yeah. <laughs> maybe it's not it's a question of just situation. Like, mm-hmm. And what? As an extreme, an extreme position, an extreme yeah, situation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It wasn't because I was stretching my hamstring. It was because I was taking my body and I was uh, just kind of trying to wedge it into a shape because that's what everybody else in the room was doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. Maybe it was, yeah, the, I mean, you know, the whole hip joint that wasn't ready for that. And it, the, yeah. the tendon was the sacrificial tissue. Do you know what right. I'm saying? Like, totally. that's where all these, when you, the first question you ask, like all the other things I'm studying, like, you know, I, I have my explanations for soft tissue stretching and I'm starting to like layer on other models. Cause there's a lot of things that, it, that could play a factor. Yeah. In yeah, totally. Yeah. I, um, you know, there's people that I work with where, yes, we were doing strength. Our, our focus for them is, is getting strength back into their body, but we may start our session with, you know, five, 10 minutes of static stretching, because even if that were to, you know, decrease the output for an Olympic weightlifter, it's not an issue for my client where we're going to be doing bridges, you know, like, I think it's, it's that kind of thing as well, where there's this idea where people take, you know, and and to your point, again, what you were saying previously, it's context-based, right? So Mm -hmm. it's, it's not, it's not relevant in this situation. She's not trying to PR her bridge. They're taking athlete (laughs) research and applying it to, you know, the general population who's coming to your yoga class straight from the office, like whatever, you know, (laughs) they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. And it does seem like Laurel and I've talked about this, how so much of the research is, you know, on athletes and it's just frustrating to like, I'm like, if I read another study that starts with, we took 20 college age male athletes and I'm just like, Ugh. and what they were fine. Sure. <laughs> you know? It's tough. It's tough. Um, so, I mean, this is a kind of goofy question, but I just wanted to ask you what you thought. Like we see, you know, we see all these movement fads come and go. I mean, I, fat-free cookies to me is just my, my, it's not a movement mm-hmm. fad, obviously, but I just remember it well when everyone was obsessed with like the snack that. wells. <laughs> yep. The oh. snack well era. <laughs> and then suddenly everyone realized, like, oh, maybe this is a terrible idea. <laughs> but you know, in the movement world, there are also trends that, that come and go. We can think about like, you know, the 80s and the 90s, and we think about like aerobics and step class and things like that, which I did both of. Um, and then from my perspective, at least, there was kind of a big, maybe sort of like in terms of how the country or, or there were certainly people doing it before, but there was sort of a big yoga explosion kind of in the 90s and into the 2000s where suddenly it was like, well, Madonna and Sting are doing yoga and like, so is everybody in New York and you want to be like going to class and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it does seem like now people are starting to see the value in not just like, oh, I'm doing my yoga and I'm doing strength training, but just sort of like doing a lot of different things. Like certainly when I was practicing yoga, was there was a sort of generally held belief that all you needed to do was practice yoga because it took care of all of your, you know, health and wellness needs. And I think, you know, even if teachers aren't necessarily putting, you know, resistance bands in their classes, they're at least aware that yoga is not the be all and end all for every single thing that your body may need. Um, what do you, do you think, what do you think we're shifting towards next? Like, do you think there's some going to be some new, is there a thigh master in the future that I just don't know about yet? <laughs> probably. Remember the thigh master? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It was there a probably hinge. Is. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It was a big hinge that you could do uh, exercise I mean, I think with. Are, yeah. Right. I know. I think you, I think there's like definitely cycles, you know, like eccentrics are really popular right now and they've been popular before. Like, I, you know, I do think that, that we, like recycle stuff. I mean, nothing's, nothing's that original, you know, even a new 
new piece of equipment is a modification of an old piece of equipment. You know, there's a you know, music today. There's not much that's original fashion. There's not much that's original. There's an, an original twist on things, uh, but you know, there's a lot of sampling, so to speak. Right. <laughs> and I think, I think what's happening now is, you know, the, the yoga studio model was really successful because there really wasn't much else. There was, you know, aerobics and like body pump and things, but you had to go to the gym, but the mm-hmm. sort of boutique studio model. And I think that's what, I mean, yes, yoga was trendy, but I think it's accessibility to people driving home from work and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, classes in the evening after work, you, there was a social aspect to it. I, I'm still friends today with the friends I met in my twenties at, at the yoga studio where we still get together. Um, and so I think that model exploded and more people came to yoga because there was a yoga studio everywhere. It was very easy to do. And now that model has moved into other areas. There's like cycling classes like that. And, and, you know, there's these boutique studios that have like orange theory. I think you yes. run on a treadmill, you know, and like the, here we have like these true fusions and there's yoga and there's Pilates and there's kettlebells and there's spin and there's, you know, there's like all the, and so the, the, the studio model exists in other forms of mm-hmm. exercise, including kettlebells. And so I think like that is where we're going. And so I, it, to me, it's not like what's next. I kind of think we already have all the exercises out there, you know, there's like, but it's really, what's it going to look like next? Mm-hmm. Like what's the, the market, how's the market going to serve the customer? And it's really unknown right now because a lot of studios have closed. Some people are used to now doing yoga at home. You know, you can't really do that. Like a lot of the other types of classes at home, the way you can with yoga. I think yoga is really, so I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I think that that's where my interest lies. Like if I'm going to be watching the trends, it's not on like, what's the next new widget that's going to be invented, but really like, what is the, what is the market demand? How are people, mm-hmm. how do people want to consume this? Do they want to go to big commercial gyms or do they want small group classes at a little private gym or do they want now we all have, we all have equipment at home. You know, like I know Laurel does a kettlebell class on, you know, online. Do we just want to do our kettlebell class at home? Do we want to do a pull-up bar, a pull-up class, a pull-up club? You know, my friend, Catherine Brittany Young does one of those, you know what it like, like, mm-hmm. how's it going to look more, more yeah. than what is it? That's my interest. Yeah, I think it's, I agree with you. I think it is an unknown at the moment because I think we are, you know, obviously with everything that's happened over the past couple of years, a lot of models just stopped working in a lot of ways. And and unfortunately for a lot of people. Um, and some of us don't want to go back, you know, like the, a, a lot of people. A lot, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't want to go back. I know a lot of people that teach exclusively online now and are, are very happy with it and, and don't miss the hassle of the drive and the whatever and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am, uh, I, I look friendly, but I'm actually really quite curmudgeonly. And I, all the, the, whatever workshops I taught online, I was so happy to just be like, goodbye and turn it off and not have to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. At the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think there's, there's pluses and minuses to, to both, but I, I do think, you know, ultimately long-term that community that we all sort of gravitated towards whether it was specifically around yoga whether it was just more about having like a a studio where people knew you and you felt Mm -hmm. like it was 
it was like the cheers bar, but yeah. it was for health activity. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Um, you know, I think that's, I think that maybe is something that, um, some people miss a lot, you know, and, and want to get and back some to people need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and, and talking about all this stuff. Do you have anything uh, coming up that you'd like our listeners to know about? Um, I'm always running something. <laughs> I literally, <laughs> I have, I, I have something to sell all the time. So um, there's nothing specifically, you know, off the top of my head, but there's things available. So, you know, I run my science of stretching webinar twice a year. It's in every January, every July, like, you know, there's, I have a teacher training, I have a mentoring program. If you want to learn to read research, join that. Like there's always offerings on my website. There's no shortage. (laughs) And we'll put a link to your website in our show notes for sure. Perfect. That's it. That's all I need. Uh, A note to you listeners, you can check out the show notes for exactly what I just talked about, links to any references we mentioned, also to Jules's website. You can also visit the Movement Logic website where you can get on our mailing list to be in the know about sales on our tutorials. If you want to watch the video version of this episode and you see what uh, Jules and I look like when we're thinking and my recording studio, which is just a closet, let's be real, uh, you can go to movementlogictutorials.com forward slash podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. It helps us out so much. If you like this episode to please subscribe and rate and review either on iTunes. It's not iTunes anymore. It's Apple podcasts. I have to like wrap my brain around it Um, or wherever you get your podcasts. We would really appreciate it. And please join us again next week for more movement logic and our loosely held opinions and strong ideas. 